Are you looking for a comprehensive and convenient online health fitness training platform? Look no further than Vikido Fitness Academy. With a variety of programs designed to meet your needs, this platform offers everything from weight loss and wellness group coaching programs to an emotional intelligence course. You'll learn what to eat in order to achieve optimal health and energy levels. You'll have access to exercise training, live coaching meetups with myself, Dr. Vicki Haywood Doe, and other instructors, as well as support and accountability throughout your journey. Whether you prefer to work out at home or at your favorite gym, Vikido Fitness Academy makes it easy to follow along with their programs. So get started on your journey to better health and fitness. Visit vikidofitness.com forward slash VDF Academy. The views and opinions expressed are for general informational purposes only. Consult with your physician or medical health care provider for medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Today, we talk about research articles and hot topics. Our topic today is what's new? Hot topics number 96. The FDA plans to ban hair straightener products with formaldehyde, which are often marketed to black women because of the link to an increased risk of uterine cancer. Substance abuse is climbing among seniors. Many baby boomers have long histories with drugs, cannabis, and alcohol. The medical field wasn't ready for that, says one expert. All this and more on It's All About Health and Fitness. Welcome to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks Bright. This program is brought to you by Vicki Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum. Now, here's your host, Vicki Doe and D. Banks Bright. I'm Dr. Vicki Haywood Doe, and with me is the one and only Dr. Virginia D. Banks Bright. Hello, Vicki Doe. How are you? I am fine. And your little pumpkins, and your little pumpkins and scarecrows <laughs> down the way. It's the start of the Doe Decoration season. <laughs> I got to seriously go copycat. I meant to tell Marky to go get me some of those. They're so cute. <laughs> well, okay, there's a history behind that. What one of the, the lawn guy, his wife does a lot of those kind of decorations and stuff. Uh-huh. And so she keeps us up on what we need to be decorating on each, well, they each season. Are. <laughs> Too cute. Me and Mr. Mark have been chasing deer. We oh, have really? deer that Mark has been carving. Okay. And every they don't they don't bother the pumpkins that aren't like we have some pumpkins with some chrysanthemums up on the doorstep, but okay. we put some carved out Mark Marky did some carved out pumpkins on the tree trunks and the deer have been eating them. Oh so yeah. So we've been going on the internet trying to find out what can you do to deter deer. So we put, they found, we found mint. So we started sticking mint 
into the eyes. Those deer just ate that mint and the pumpkin. But so do the we're garlic. On, we're on, so we said garlic or cayenne pepper. Yes. So I said, Mart, let's do one more time. So we're going to get some new pumpkins today and carve out some new pumpkins. We are bound and determined to defeat <laughs> these doggone deer. And it's families Mark, of them. When he comes out in the morning, when he gets ready to drive Uber, he looks up and then the deer are out there and they're looking at him, looking at him and looking at me and looking at him. He's like, I know what you did. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I know exactly. Oh, by the way, speaking of animals, did you know we have wild turkeys running around? No, really? Oh, Vicky, this morning there was about eight of them. Wild turkeys? Turkeys. <laughs> there was one in my yard and I looked because I can't stand them. They're mean and nasty. Yeah. And in the yard across the street from me, there had to be about six or seven because they travel in packs. So be careful when you get out of the car at night. There are wild turkeys running around here. Oh, my goodness. Wait till I tell Nate because he can't stand critters anyway. I can't <laughs> either. No, tell him we're going to have to be like Elmer Fudd with our <laughs> shotguns out running around killing turkeys. I can't stand wild turkeys. They're nasty. They are nasty. Be very careful because they chase people. Well, we got we to gotta have our Thanksgiving early. Turkeys. Yes, we got to get our so Thanksgiving early. Careful. Be very careful. <laughs> Nate doesn't like critters. I don't like critters. No, 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 no. He'll have me standing. Okay, well, I'm taking out this track. Stand and watch for the critters coming in. <laughs> Nate. Well, be careful. Yeah. Be careful because there are definitely, definitely some turkeys running around. Nasty. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Well, we are here today, though, right? We are. We are. You we can are tell when it's coming. It's getting a little chilly. Yes, it is. Chilly willy. Chilly willy. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. Yes, indeed. And so today, this is episode 268. And today we talk about hot topics and research articles that we think are worth looking at and talking about. And our topic today is what's new hot topics number 96. And so the FDA plans to ban hair straighteners with formaldehyde and these products which are marketed, they are marketed to black women have been linked to an increased risk of uterine cancer. Dee and I have been talking earlier, you know, we always kind of knew that uh, putting all those chemicals on our head and scalp wasn't probably the best thing anyway, right Dee? Right, absolutely. And so now the FDA, they are, you know, trying to get a ban based on evidence you know, they're going to make that move. So this article, we're going to be talking about that. It's going to be interesting to talk about. Now, the latest stats are showing us that substance abuse is climbing among seniors. They are saying that many aging baby boomers, you know, have long histories with drugs, cannabis and alcohol. And so aging baby boomers use drugs more than their parents did. They're finding out. And so this is uh, affecting their regular medications that they have to do and just their quality of life as we get older or as the aging boomers, baby boomers get older. And so we're going to talk about that, what can be done, if anything, to slow down substance abuse among this population. And so we're going to talk about, you know, this article, these articles, and much more on this show 
on our show. It's all about health and fitness, Vicky Doe Fitness. And as per usual, our co-host, Dr. D. Banks, will give us the latest on what's happening with COVID, vaccines, flu, whatever's coming to get us. <laughs> and this time, she's going to talk about a new explanation for long COVID. And so we want you to stay tuned, in tune, tuned in, all that to this episode. And so what do you say, D? Yeah, a lot of really good stuff today. That um, formaldehyde thing, as we were just talking before we started, it's just a shame that, you know, these companies know about these kind of things and they market it to marginalized individuals. And then there you have it. Here we come up with cancers all over again. So it's just really bad. And they've got to, you know, if embalmers started having problems with formaldehyde and stuff like that, why did it take so long for hair straighteners? Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's going to be very interesting today you know they stopped a lot of that like i used to like get paraffin wax yes manicure places they stopped that yes they have because of all kinds of uh toxins and fumes and stuff like that in these manicure places that are associated with all kinds of cancers so yeah so yeah we got to find but i've always been trying to do natural beauty stuff anyway you know yeah i stopped straightening a long long time ago just Mm -hmm. me and my gel or you know hot hot press or whatever they use or whatever, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. with the foam or something like that, but no straighteners. Uh-uh. I know. Well, so yes, yeah, so we're going to be talking about all that today and folks, make sure that you go sign up for our newsletter and updates, you know, go to our website, vickidofitness.com and sign up where it says sign up for our newsletter, because when you sign up, you will be able to stay in touch with the things that we're doing at Vickido Fitness also invite others to sign up for our newsletter as well because when we launch and promote any of our online Vicky Doe Fitness Academy health fitness programs you will be the first to know and so we are gearing up soon for our popular program which is called our seven day reset challenge and so we want you to at least go sign up for the newsletter today so that you can be informed about that and to receive health tips and all the other things that we're doing at Vicky Doe Fitness. So make sure you go to VickyDoeFitness.com. And as always, D, what do we always say? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your support. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your support. Well, D, let's talk about the Vicky Doe Fitness for yeah. And your healthy heart, healthy a living. Major success. Major success. It was great. We loved it. All that planning paid off, you know, and the cook off was fabulous. It was a hit. We had a great time. I love the presentations that happened that morning. The mini health spa, we had Ashley Vidal. She was there talking. We had Dr. Tanya Farmer um, and Caesar Augustine. He was talking yeah. about uh, I our, seen him for a long time. I know, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Dental health. Yeah. And then one of the key points that Tanya, Dr. Tanya Farmer was talking about is how that since we brush our teeth every day we need to have our sinus health every day and i thought about that i said yeah she's right because we never think about cleansing our nostrils and our sinuses 
every day. Yeah. And yeah. so, yes, I thought that was great that she talked about that. And then Ashley, you know, she had, she talked about skincare, things that she has in her new spa. She did her reopening of her spa. I went there. It was last Saturday. Yeah, I how was it? It was really nice, beautiful oh, up in there. And so kudos to them. We wish them all the success that can be made. We right. wish them all the success as well. But yeah, so we enjoyed our Healthy Heart, Healthy Living event. We're back on track because, you know, COVID hit us and we had to chill out for a minute. But I don't yeah. know. You know, Nate was telling me that it's kind of upticking a little bit. Yeah, the numbers are upticking in the hospital, you know, coming in. And, you know, maybe like August, they were starting a little bit of upticking. And most of it was like they come in the hospital and then we find out that they had COVID. They didn't come in for for that reason. But now they're coming in because they're having their symptomatic, you know, shortness of breath and all of that. So we're just watching a little bit, you know, the vaccines are out there. You can't get really any information now because the government doesn't really require very much now about the prevalence of it or anything. So we're really sort of flying by the seat of our pants. So mm. I would say right now we're at a mild calm in the hospital. It's not crazy. You know, we've got maybe 10, 10 to not eight to 10 in each hospital of the three hospitals that are under our care. So we're just, just watching it, you know, cause it's starting to get colder now and people are going to start coming in more so we'll see Okay, well, we will see. But yeah, yeah, we are trying to get back out there. A lot of folks are, um, especially for those that have programs. We have our programs online, but we, we love it when we um, go out and mingle. And, yeah. And what we say, touchy-feely with folks exactly. when we do our stuff. So yeah, that's that's what we did for Vicky Doe Fitness. And I went it to the eyeball. Fun. I went to the eyeball this time. Oh, so how was it? Tell me how that was. How that was. That, did they make a lot of money? Yes, they made a lot of money. They had really uh -huh. great auctions and stuff going on. And their theme was Wizard of Oz. Mm -hmm. So they had, you know, it was, it was very interesting. They had the good witch there and the bad witch there. And oh, it was my just, goodness. It, it was really nice. And it was nice to see folks that I haven't seen for a, a long time because I always miss the eyeball because I was always having our event, the Vicky Doe Fitness event, pretty at much the at the same time. time. Yeah, so yeah. it worked Where was out. It, held? it was at the Eastwood um, oh, Center, oh, yeah, okay. event center, yeah. Oh, okay. And so, yeah, it was really nice. Well attended. I, I had a nice time. Yes, yes. I saw some of the pictures on Facebook about the great decorations that they had mm -hmm. and the costumes that people had. Yes. You know, the Tin Man and Scarecrow. They went all out. They went all out. Yes. So was the mat was the mistress of ceremony Dr. Ergel's uh, Erzrum again? It was Trestle. Oh. It was our um, past president, okay. former president of YSU. Oh. Trestle okay, and his good. wife, Ellen. Very, very good. Very yes. Good. Yes. Okay, nice. Mm -hmm. So that was that. Very and good. so, yeah, I'm ready to just chill down. I know you are. And you planned it for a year. Oh, my it was God. A year in planning. Yes, it was. Yes, it, it was. was. A year in planning. Yeah. So we, we're just trying to gear up, at least try to find a wonderful place. Right now, our tentative date for a health, healthy heart, fifth 
annual will be September the 28th, but we shall mm-hmm. see. Right. We shall exactly. see. As they say, God willing. God willing. That's it. And the it. creek don't rise. The, <laughs> or something coming get rise. us. Coming, or something else coming to get us. Some other pandemic. Exactly. Something. Right now, that's what you got to say. What pandemic right. now is coming to get us? That's exactly but true. Who knew three years ago, this coming into November, that we would be just at the unbeknownst to us, hearing just little bitty, bitty stuff about, mm-hmm. you know, a little in, pneumonia infection coming into China and this, that, and the other. And, you know, now, I don't know if we, we're going to have to talk about this maybe next week or the week after. There are some diseases that are coming into this country that we may have to kind of look up and say, whoa, yellow fever is in this country. Oh, wow. Malaria. Oh, yeah. coming back. And dengue fever. These are things that you see in the tropics. And so we're having, uh, we're seeing now a little bit of an uptake in diseases that really have been out of this country for hundreds of years. So, And they're all mosquito-borne. So dengue and yellow fever and malaria, I'll have to keep everybody updated on how how we're doing following those. They're mostly in the southern states like Texas and Florida and stuff like that. But, you know, who knows? You got to stay stay vigilant. That's something. Yeah. That's something. Wow. I didn't even... wipe those out. White malaria and yellow fever and all of that. And maybe every now and then the malaria would be coming from somebody, let's say, who had gone to Africa and gotten infected and came back with malaria. But I'm talking about got malaria in this country, not been in any other country to be associated with it. So we got to really pay attention. Wow. I didn't realize that. Okay. Well, Mm -hmm. thanks for letting us know. And I know you will keep (laughs) us up on. I will. I'll keep everybody abreast of what's going on. Oh, big time. Big time. So how was your week, Dee? My week was good. Um, Saturday was kind of interesting. Our friend Molly Seal and her husband uh, invited us over to the president's box to see YSU play Illinois. Okay. And got to spend some time with the new president, President, well, she's the interim president, President Lafferty. Yes. A wonderful woman Mm -hmm. who came here from Villanova. Okay, and yes. It looks like she just wants to do the intro. And then she want to get back. That's what they say. Right, she wants to go back to Villanova. But she mm-hmm. was very nice. And it was just fun seeing the people that I hadn't seen for a long time. Yes. So that was fun. And the fact that they won was even better. Uh-huh. And then, but on Friday, I went to a very interesting luncheon. Uh-huh. with an organization called Creative One. It was out at Lake Club. Okay. And they were honoring various people in the community that had anything to do with the arts. So they, they gave an award to SMARTS. Okay, That's yes, the yes. SMARTS program with yes. Becky Kett. Mm-hmm. And actually, they reminded me that Professor L. Bright gave them the name SMARTS. It was something about something studying, making kids or something with the arts. Okay. And then they gave an award to SMARTS. And then they gave an award to Huntington Bank okay. for something that they were doing with the arts. Mm-hmm. And they gave uh, Luzona a Lifetime Achievement okay, Award wow. for okay. his involvement with the Butler. So it was very nice and it was huge. Okay. I mean, it was very well attended from people from all over huh. all over mm-hmm. and apparently this is the first time that's ever been in Youngstown okay here before the group has you know had their meetings in Columbus and mm, cities like yeah I've, I've heard of that in, so in this Columbus time they're going to try to see if they can keep it in uh, Youngstown again and bring more organizations into the fold 
So it was nice. That was very nice. Yeah. Yeah. And as far as I'm concerned, when it comes to abstract art, because some people, you know, they can't get into abstract art. But I'm going to tell you something about the late and wonderful Al Bright. He made yeah. abstract art popular. He did. And beautiful. He did. Yeah, he did. Because his pieces, did. his pieces are just beautiful when you look at them. Yeah, and they have withstood the test of time. Yes, they you have. Know, they have really withstood the uh, the test of time. Because, so, you know, everybody else be bringing their abstract. And I'd be like, uh, okay, nah. I'm sorry. No. no. <laughs> that ain't it. <laughs> That's what I'll be saying. Uh, no, no, that's really not it. We've been no. spoiled. To see yeah, what truly beautiful abstract yeah, art yeah. is. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and people don't come. Mm -mm, no. No, Al, Al put the flag in the mountain with, with yes, that. He so, yes, he did. Yes, he did. Yes, yes, yes. So, yes, his his stuff will be, we, we would just miss him. But he yeah. his legacy is there, though. Yes. You know, his pieces yes. of art. Luzona did a small retrospective of his works last year. Okay. Um, there so uh -huh. um so yeah i'm glad to have known him and i know yeah. you're glad too yeah <laughs> absolutely yes absolutely. yes yes well what is going on this week d everything vicky everything yes and you know we always talk about in october we know that it's breast cancer month you know awareness we also know that we talk about um domestic violence and non-violence but october is health literacy month as well well, and so this goes right up our alley because that's what we're all about with Vicky Doe Fitness is teaching folks how to understand and be educated about health and knowing what you need to do to be proactive. It's awareness through action. For more than 20 years, October has been recognized as Health Literacy Month, and they were asking us to join them for this international observance of October when hospitals, health centers, literacy programs, libraries, social service agencies, businesses, professional um, organizations, government agencies, consumer alliances, and many other groups. We work together to integrate and expand the mission of Health Literacy. And so Health Literacy Month was founded in 1999 by Helen Osborne and is now brought to you by the Institute for Healthcare Advancement, IHA. So during Health Literacy Month, we're urging folks to put health literacy awareness into action. And so together we can, all of us, we can build bridges between our organizations and the people who need health care or services. Greater health literacy helps us overcome barriers because we always talk about barriers and challenges um, that we have. And this will, these barriers may result in harm to folks, most especially to underrepresented folks, our black folks. And so it's important that we teach health literacy and by collectively working to improve health liter literacy, we'll create a more equitable world where everyone can access high quality care and achieve positive health outcomes. And so let's get involved. I know this is October the 25th, but you know, when we have these awareness, um, health awareness months, we're bringing it out to you this month. But we want you to think about doing this and getting involved for the whole entire year. So go check out their website, www.healthliteracymonth.org. 
So what do you have to say, D, to that? You know, it's it's good. Just like financial literacy, people need to get on top of their health literacy mm-hmm. uh, expertise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, and, and it's important for us to, to know and ask questions. And um, when you go on their website, I love how they have a lot of the animated stuff on YouTube. But, uh-huh. but it's, it's having that aha moment where, where you ask questions and you go, oh, okay, or you ask your pharmacist because see a lot of times they write all this stuff on your prescriptions you know and I always say B-I-D of course we kind of know you know B-I-D and all these other big words and little abbreviations but the the regular folk they want you to say look take this in the evening and take this twice a day take this in the morning yeah yes the other thing too is that with marginalized people being involved with healthcare disparities and you know, particularly black folks, Latinos, it's important healthcare literacy, like you say, like, you know, if you don't understand what's being, what's written on the prescription, you just, I'm not going to take it. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, if you're not educated about what you need to do for your health, that's going to contribute also to healthcare disparities. So it all ties in. Mm -hmm. It all ties in. And so, yes, make sure folks go and check out the website. They have really nice um, YouTube little examples and stuff. It's really nice how they got that um, website set up. Right. Yes, yes, yes. Well, you know, it's all it's been all on the news. I don't know if you've seen it, but they're talking about this off duty firefighter. He jumps into action to save a man no, at the mall. That. Yeah. I did not see that. It was on W um KBN TV and you know, it's talking about a Liberty Township firefighter. He was a he is a EMT. His name is Nicholas Ford and he I guess he knows they say he knows that in his line of work, he's never truly off the clock. And he's, he was on there and they interviewed him and he said, yeah, we, we get into this job, this line of duty to help people. So if we can do that on duty or off duty, we're absolutely going to. And so Ford's work skills were put to use last Monday when he was at the mall with his family. And this is Eastwood Mall with his family. Mm. And he said, my wife heard a commotion out in the mall and sh- she called me over. I looked out there and I see a gentleman slumped over in a chair, he recalled. Ford quickly jumped into action. He said the man didn't have a pulse. And so he started chest compressions while someone called 911, reporting a man was having a possible overdose. And mm-hmm. other people went to go and find an AED. The actions were captured on a police body cam so we could see the the video when they were talking about it. And mm-hmm. Ford said with the help of bystanders, plus the Niles police and firefighters, they were able to get a pulse before the ambulance arrived. And he said, well, it's our job to save them. Now what they do with their second chance, that's completely on them. Hopefully this gentleman gets the care that he needs. And that's what Ford said. And so I said, well, you know, that's a that's a good feel good story. But I mean, a lot of times that's happening where people be out in the public and they be overdosing. And the, the problem with that are the ethical. Uh, and it, let's go a step further. What they're finding is when these firefighters come and revive these individuals and they don't want to go to the hospital or whatever because they give them Narcan, they get their pulses back and this, that and the other. Within two hours, they've done it again. <laughs> And now they have to go right back out there again with the same situation. And it has become in a lot of places a real ethical situation about going back to the same situation 
two or three times within a 24 hour period. And that's happening more often than not. So it's just, you know, it's really bad. I noticed in the drugstore the other day that they're start, they're selling Narcan. Yeah. On, on the counter, right? Doing that. Yeah. Over the counter. Mm -hmm. Over the counter Narcan. Over the counter. Like Mm -hmm. he said, hopefully this person will get, you know, the help that they can get. The problem is it's nice to just say that in the abstract, but I know limited resources for people to actually go to get this. And then we find in the hospital, after they get there, they leave against medical advice. So it's just, I don't know. You don't want to say it's hopeless, but it's very, let's put it this way. It's extremely challenging. Yeah, to say the least, right? Yeah, it's extremely challenging. Yep. Yeah, that's something that happened um, at Eastwood Mall. I thought it was very interesting because, yeah, he was slumped in a chair overdose. Isn't that something? Wow. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of these people, when they're doing overdoses, they're not trying to kill themselves or anything. They just don't understand the power of this stupid fentanyl. I know. You know, and you're just trying to get to that next high. And then all of a sudden you are overdosed. You know, there's not going to be a next high. The next high is heaven. Yeah, so, you dead. Yeah, you dead. Mm-hmm. Right. That's it. So that's part of the problem. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Well, D, we always ask you, what is the latest for us? What's yeah. the latest? <laughs> so I thought this was interesting because, you know, like I say to people, well, I don't care if I get COVID, you know, it's all right. No, no, you don't want long COVID. Mm-hmm. That's where we're seeing the problem. So I thought this was an article that came out last week in the New York Times. Mm-hmm. Scientists offer a new explanation for long COVID. A team of scientists is proposing a new explanation for some cases of long COVID based on their findings that serotonin levels were lower in people with the complex condition. In their study published on Monday in the journal Cell, researchers at the University of Pennsylvania suggest that serotonin reduction is triggered by remnants of the virus lingering in the gut. Depleted serotonin can especially explain memory problems and some neurological and cognitive symptoms of long COVID, they say. Why it matters, new ways to diagnose and treat long COVID. This is one of the several new studies documenting distinct biological changes in the body of people with COVID, offering important discoveries for a condition that takes many forms and often does not register on standard diagnostic tools like x-rays. The research could point the way toward possible treatments, including medications that boost serotonin. And the author said the biological pathway that their research outlines could unite many of the major theories of what causes long COVID. Lingering remnants of the virus, inflammation, increased blood clotting, and dysfunction of the autonomic nervous system. All these pathway hypotheses might be connected through the serotonin pathway, says Christopher Thace, a lead author of the study and assistant professor of microbiology at the Perlman School of Medicine at University of Pennsylvania. Second of all, even if not everybody experiences difficulties in the serotonin pathway, at least the subset might respond to therapies that activate this pathway, he said. This is an excellent study that identifies lower levels of circulating serotonin as a mechanism for long COVID, said Akiko Iwasaki, an immunologist at Yale University. Her team and colleagues at the Icon 
Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai recently published a study that identified other biological changes linked to some cases of long COVID, including levels of hormone, cortisol. These studies could point to specific subtypes of long COVID or different biological indicators at different points in the condition. So what's the backstory? So researchers analyzed the blood of 58 patients who had been experiencing long COVID for between three months and 22 months since their infection. Those results were compared to blood analysis of 30 people with no post-COVID symptoms and 60 patients who were in the early acute stage of coronavirus infection. Mayan Levy, a lead author and assistant professor of microbiology at Perlman School of Medicine, said levels of serotonin and other metabolites were altered right after a coronavirus infection something that also happens immediately after other viral infections. But in people with long COVID, serotonin was the only significant molecule that did not recover the pre-infection level, she said. The team analyzed stool samples from some of the long COVID patients and found that they contained remaining viral particles. Putting the findings in patients together with research on mice and miniature models of the human gut where most serotonin is produced, the team identified a pathway that could underlie some cases of long COVID. Here's the idea. Viral remnants prompt the immune system to produce infection-fighting proteins called interferons. Interferons cause inflammation that reduces the body's ability to absorb tryptophan an amino acid that helps produce serotonin in the gut. Blood clots that can form after a coronavirus infection may impair the body's ability to circulate serotonin. Depleted serotonin disrupts the vagus nervous system, which transmits signals between the body and the brain. The researchers said, the researchers said, serotonin plays a role in short-term memory. And the researchers proposed that depleted serotonin could lead to memory problems and other cognitive issues that many people with long COVID experience. They showed that one, two, three punch to the serotonin pathway then leads to vagal nerve dysfunction and memory impairment, said Dr. Iwasaki. There are caveats. The study wasn't large. So the findings need to be confirmed with other research. Participants in some other long COVID studies in which some patients had milder symptoms did not always show depleted serotonin, a result that Dr. Levy said might indicate that depletion happens only in people whose long COVID involves multiple serious symptoms. So what's next? Scientists want to find biomarkers for long COVID, biological changes that can be measured to help diagnose the condition. Dr. Thay said the new study suggested three, the presence of viral remnant in stool, remnants in stool, low serotonin, and high levels of interferon. Most experts believe there will not be a single biomarker for the condition, but that several indicators will emerge and might vary based on the type of symptoms and other factors. There is tremendous need for effective ways to treat long COVID, and clinical trials of several treatments are underway, said Dr. Levy. Dr. Thay said they would be starting a clinical trial to test floxetine, a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, often marketed as Prozac, and possibly also tryptophan. If we supplement serotonin or prevent the degradation of serotonin, maybe we can restore some of the vagal signals and improve memory and cognition and so on, said Dr. Levy. There you have it. So maybe a depleted serotonin level might 
be the start of trying to figure out some of this long COVID thing. Because, of course, as we know, COVID has affected almost every organ system in the body. So, yeah, but that's what makes it scary. That's why getting COVID is scary because you don't know what it's going to affect. You know, people are like, oh, I don't care about getting COVID. It's mild. No, you don't want long COVID. And as to date, we have not found out who gets long COVID and who doesn't. So you don't know. I know. Well, thank you, Dee. You are welcome. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Vicki Haywood-Doe. I just wanted to break in for a quick second and introduce to you the sponsor and creator of this show. It's the company I own, Haywood-Doe Consulting Co., doing business as Vicki Doe Fitness. We are a health and wellness consulting company that specializes in designing and implementing medically integrated applied exercise physiology-based fitness wellness programs, initiatives, events, health promotion, and health education for special populations such as older folks, children, adolescents, overweight and obese individuals, women's health, and those who have chronic diseases. We have a team and network of healthcare professionals based out of Northeast Ohio, and we've worked with many companies, schools, churches, and organizations. If your goal is to transform your life by taking a holistic approach to living a life of health and total well-being, get in touch with us at info at To find out more about our own site and online programs and services, go to vikidofitness.com. And now back to the show. Well, today we discuss research articles and hot topics. And our topic today is what's new? Hot topics number 96. Are you going to do the first article? I will. Okay. Yeah, I can do that. It's and you know, this is kind of near and dear to me in terms of I'm older than you. So I've been around the black straightening products for a <laughs> long time. I remember when they came out and we, I went to college in 1966. It was like a godsend because now we could wash our hair like all other girls, you mm. know, and curl it and all this other stuff. So it was really a big deal as opposed to the hot press comb that we all remember as little black girls, you know, mm-hmm. which hurt sometimes because I was tenderheaded. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. But the other thing about this is that I had a hysterectomy a long oh. time ago. And my point about it was that I remember talking to my colleagues for women. The uterus is just sitting up there, I'm, in my opinion, once you have children and it's just sitting up there waiting for these all these cancer things that are related to it uterine cancer postmenopausal uterine cancer you know the the body powder they're now advertising on the thing about talc associated with ovarian cancer and now this mm-hmm. so the FDA food and drug administration has proposed banning hair straightening products that contain or emit formaldehyde more than a decade after the cosmetic industry's own experts declared the products unsafe. Let me read that again. Mm-hmm. Let, me, let me read that again. Yeah. The FDA has proposed banning hair straightening products that contain or emit formaldehyde more than a decade. I believe that's 10, mm-hmm. 10 years mm-hmm. after the cosmetic industry's own experts declared the products unsafe. unsafe. Mm-hmm. Period. Mm-hmm. Frequent use of chemical hair straighteners has been linked to a possible increase in the development of cancer of the uterus. 
which is often called endometrial cancer. Women who use the products often face more than twice the risk of those who don't. Other studies have linked hair straighteners and dyes to breast and ovarian cancer. The agency scientists deemed formaldehyde to be a human carcinogen seven years ago, and his lawyers started drafting a proposed ban then. Mm. What took him so long? How long does it take to do a draft? I know, right? 10 years? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> they did that draft for SCOTUS where the... Mm. the for, okay. I digress. <laughs> I digress. Workers like embalmers who are exposed to high levels of formaldehyde have high rates of myeloid leukemia and other rare cancers. The FDA warns that immediate reactions can include irritation of the eyes and throat, coughing, wheezing, or chest pain. Chronic or long-term problems include frequent headaches, asthma, skin irritation, and allergic reactions. The hair straightening products marketed largely to black women, while rates of uterine cancer have been rising among all women in recent years. The increase has been steepest among women of color, including Asian and Hispanic women. The agency's proposed rule would ban formaldehyde and other formaldehyde-releasing chemicals from hair straightening and hair smoothing products marketed in the United States. The target date for the ban is April 2024. Some treatments, including so-called keratin treatments, mm. claim to be formaldehyde-free, but contain a substance called methylene glycol, mm. which converts to formaldehyde gas after coming in contact with the air. Hmm, ah. I've seen those keratin products. Yes. They're used for straightening too. Yes, they are. Scientists consider methylene glycol simply to be formaldehyde in a solution. Interesting. Mm -hmm. The FDA has always had the authority to ban a specific ingredient like formaldehyde, and it has removed about a dozen ingredients, including mercury compounds from cosmetics. But the industry went largely unregulated until last year when Congress gave the FDA oversight authority. The action was not related to the new authority, however, the FDA said. The expanded oversight does not mean that new products will typically undergo agency review before they are marketed to the public. But manufacturers of shampoo, nail polish, makeup, and other items are now required to register their manufacturing sites with the FDA, and they are required to disclose the ingredients on the packaging. The FDA can also issue a mandatory recall of a cosmetic product if a serious health concern arises or if death occurs. Controversy over formaldehyde and hair straighteners has persisted for years. The Environmental Working Group and Advocacy Organization petitioned the agency in 2011 and again in 2021 to ban hair products with formaldehyde. FDA lawyers started drafting rules for proposed ban in 2016. How long did it come for them to write up the, the, yep. um, the SCOTUS ban for admission to schools? I bet that didn't take That took two years. seconds. That was about one second. <laughs> Okay, so that proposal was started in 2016, but the process halted abruptly a few months later. And no, and no explanation. explanation was given. Okay, let me repeat that. <laughs> the process halted abruptly a few months later after it started in 2016, but no explanation. So the FDA has known for decades now that these products are dangerous, said Melanie Benesh, Vice President for Government Affairs at the Environmental Working Group. There's no reason for them not to have acted sooner. Mm. Duh. I know. This is the first public indication we've seen that they are planning to ban it in hair straightening products, Ms. Benesh added. The products pose a real risk of harm, she said, both to hairstylists regularly exposed to formaldehyde vapor while providing the treatment as well as to customers 
receiving it. The agency currently encourages customers to read the labels of hair products before purchasing them and avoid those that contain formaldehyde, formalin, or methylene glycol. The agency urges consumers to ask hairdressers what products they are using and to report adverse reactions. And you know, mm-hmm. um, Vicki, uh-huh. let's see, read more about Black hair, let me just mention this. Hairstyles like cornrows and Afro puffs have played an important yet complex role in Black identity. So more places to read. Curl Fest, the celebration of Black hair on Randall's Island, Mm. returned after a three-year hiatus. The Testing Center, uh, each week the global conglomerate. Unilever brings people into a salon to test new hair products. Mm. A new era. Hair care innovations at the end of the 20th century gave black women new autonomy. Mm -hmm. A point of pride, NFL players who wear dreadlocks risk being tackled by their hair and face helmeting challenges. And knotless braids, this style, which has driven up demand at hairlines in Harlem and Brooklyn, creates less tension in the scalp and leaves braids flatter and lighter. What I was going to say is when we took Professor Albright's art classes, especially painting, the university had to have all kinds of regulatory agencies come in there. Like you had to make sure that the um, vents and the Ah. circulation in the room and all of that was up to levels because you're dealing with toxins when you're painting all that linseed oil and all that stuff that we use in the art class and the rags and stuff like that. The rags had to be disposed of because they had these chemicals that could could cause spontaneous combustion, like a fire all of a sudden. Mm. So, you know, a lot of these mom and pop hairdresser places, they don't, they didn't have any FDA or environmental protection agency people coming in to make sure that they had, You know, a lot of times we go to these mom and pop places and even still now, these places where they don't have EPA people coming in there checking out their vents and all of that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's just another situation where something was known about and something wasn't acted upon. Uh, Right. Because of different reasons, probably money. Yeah. It's always money in the background. It's always money. Right. Yep. So but we know, especially now, you know, people are embracing. Now, we still have issues with different things coming up where folks be banding the folks because they got locks and stuff. But we're as as a as a group collectively with our culture, we're we've like you said, we've been we've been stopped doing chemicals. Yeah, we yeah, we had to take it in our own hands. Yes, we did. To stop doing that because it just didn't make sense to have all these fumes and stuff around. It had to be something bad. Yes, and we're putting it right on our hair and yeah, our scalp. It had to be something bad. Yeah, so that's that. Well, our next article is talking about substance abuse is climbing among seniors right here. Okay. And this is something many aging baby boomers have long histories with drugs and cannabis and alcohol. And so the field isn't ready for that, said one expert. Substance abuse is climbing among seniors. And so when Dr. Benjamin Hand, a geriatrician, and he's an addiction medicine specialist, he meets new patients at the School of Medicine at the University of California, San Diego. He talks with them about You know, the usual issues that older adults face, chronic conditions, functional ability, medications, and how they're working. He asked, too, about their use of tobacco, their alcohol use, cannabis, and other non-prescription drugs. Patients tend to not want to disclose this 
but I put it in a health context, Dr. Han said. He tells them, as you get older, there are physiological changes and your brain becomes much more sensitive. Your tolerance goes down as your body changes. It can put you at risk. That's how he learns that someone complaining about insomnia might be using stimulants, possible. Yeah, meth. That's all I ever say too. Yeah, to get going into the morning or they, they... Our patient who has long taken an opioid for chronic pain has run into trouble with an added prescription. And so now when a 90-year-old patient, a woman fit enough to take the subway to his previous hospital in New York City, began reporting dizziness and falls, it took Dr. Han a while to understand why. She washed out... Methamphetamine. I have to do it Methamphetamine. Methamphetamine. That's what it is. Methamphetamines. Yes. So who knew? You know, people, a lot of seniors are using that as stimulants. All right. And so the patient, though, Dr. Han... A while to understand. It took him a while to understand why this patient of his was getting dizziness and falls. And she washed down her prescribed um, pills and increasing number as she aged with a shot of brandy. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) I know. I know. He has had older patients whose heart problems, liver disease and cognitive impairment were most likely exasperated by substance abuse some have overdosed despite his best efforts some have died until a few years ago even as the opioid epidemic raged health providers and researchers paid limited attention to drug use by older adults concerns were focused on the younger working age victims who were hardest hit. But as baby boomers have turned 65, the age at which they typically qualify for Medicare, substance use disorders among the older population have climbed steeply. Cohorts have habits around drug and alcohol use that they carry through life, said Keith Humphreys, a psychologist and addiction researcher at the Stanford University School of Medicine. Aging Boomers still use drugs far more than their parents did, and the field wasn't ready for that. Evidence of a growing problem has been stacking up. A study of opioid use disorder in people over 65 enrolled in traditional Medicare, for instance, showed a threefold increase in just five years to 15.7 cases per 1,000 in 2018, from 4.6 cases per 1,000 in 2013. Tishan Yang, a co-author of the study and a sociologist at, I don't know if that's a she, but at, I don't know either. at the University of Alabama said the stigma of drug use may lead people to underreport it, so the true rate of the disorder may be higher still. Fatal overdoses have also soared among seniors. From 2002 to 2021, the rate of overdose deaths quadrupled to 12 from 3 per 100,000. Dr. Humphreys and Chelsea Sover, a co-author, reported in JAMA or JAMA Psychiatry in March using data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Those deaths were both intentional, like suicides, and 
accidental, reflecting drug interactions and errors. Most substance use disorders among elder people involve prescribed medications, not illegal drugs. And since most Medicare beneficiaries take multiple drugs, it's easy to get confused. Dr. Humphrey said, the more complicated the regimen, the easier to make mistakes, and then you have an overdose. The number so far remain comparatively low, 6,700 drug overdose deaths in 2021 among people 65 and older, but the rate of increase is alarming. In 1998, that's what people would have said about overdose deaths in general. The absolute number was small. Dr. Humphrey said, when you don't respond, you end up in a sorrowful state. More than 100,000 Americans died of overdoses last year. Alcohol also plays a major role. Last year, a study of substance use disorders based on a federal survey analyzed which drugs older Americans were using, looking at the differences between Medicare enrollees under 65 who may qualify because of disabilities and those 65 and older. Of the 2% of beneficiaries over 65 who reported a substance use disorder or dependence in the last year, which amounts to more than 900,000 seniors nationwide, more than 87% abused alcohol. Alcohol accounted for 11,616 deaths among seniors in 2020, and 18% increase over the previous year. In addition, about 8.6% of disorders involved opioids, mostly prescription pain relievers, 4.3% involved marijuana, and 2% involved non-opioid prescription drugs, including tranquilizers and anti-anxiety medications. The categories overlap because people often use multiple substances, said William Parrish, the lead author and a health economist at RTI International, a nonprofit research institute. Although most people with substance use problems don't die from overdoses, the health consequences can be severe. Injuries from falls and accidents, accelerated cognitive decline, cancers, heart and liver disease, and kidney failure. It's particularly heartbreaking to compare rates of suicidal uh, ideation, Dr. Paris said. Older Medicare beneficiaries with substance use disorders were more than three times as likely to report serious psychological distress as those without such disorders. 14% versus 4%. About 7% had suicidal thoughts compared with 2% who didn't report substance disorders. Yet very few of these seniors underwent treatment in the past year, just 6% compared with 17% of younger Medicare uh, beneficiaries or even made an effort to seek treatment. With these addictions, it takes a lot to get somebody ready to get into treatment. Dr. Paris said, noting that almost half of the respondents over 65 said they lacked the motivation to begin, but they also face more barriers than younger people. We see higher rates of stigma concerns, things 
like worrying about what their neighbors would think, Dr. Paris said. We see more logistical barriers, he said, such as finding transportation, not knowing where to go for help, and being unable to afford care. It may be harder for older adults to try to navigate the treatment system, Dr. Paris said. Uneven Medicare coverage also presents obstacles. Federal parity law legislative mandating the same coverage for mental health, including addiction treatment and physical health guarantees equal benefits in private employer insurance, state health exchange exchanges, Affordable Care Act marketplaces, and most Medicaid plans. But it has never included Medicare, said Deborah um, Steinberg, senior health policy attorney at the Legal Action Center, a nonprofit working to expand equitable coverage. Advocates have made some inroads. Medicare covers substance um, use screening. And since 2020, opioid treatment programs like methadone clinics in January following the Congressional Act, it will cover treatment by a broader range of health professionals and cover intensive outpatient treatment, which typically provides 9 to 19 hours of weekly counseling and education. Expanded telehealth benefits prompted by the pandemic have also helped, but more intensive treatment can be hard to access and residential treatment isn't covered at all. Medicare Advantage plans with their more limited provider networks and prior authorization requirements are even more restrictive. We see many more complaints from Medicare Advantage beneficiaries, Ms. Steinberg said. We're actually making progress, she added, but people are overdosing and dying because mm -hmm. of lack of access mm -hmm. to treatment. Their are mm -hmm. doctors unaccustomed to diagnosing substance abuse in older people may also overlook the risks. In yep. an age cohort whose youthful drinking and drug <laughs> use have sometimes provided am amusing antidotes, a common reframe, if you can remember the 60s, you weren't there. <laughs> it can, yeah, you it, hear that all the time. Yeah, it can be difficult for people to recognize how vulnerable they have become. So that person may not be able to say, I'm addicted, Dr. Humphrey said. It's a Rubicon person don't want to cross. A joke about dropping acid at Woodstock makes me colorful, he added. Crushing oxyconin and snorting it is not colorful so there you have it you know yeah, it's a big problem i mean you know and it's kind of an overlooked problem with a lot of because older people have all these pop their polypharmacy all these drugs and you do see i mean i see it in the hospital all the time i'm always running out asking the nurses why is this person on all this pain medication i mean it just it just sort of seems like mm. pain medication and these opioids are just kind of given because the patient asks for them and then we see all these problems with addiction you know another big thing is back pain a lot of elderly people have all these aches and back pains and you know they get started on these opioid medications and then they can't get off and so it's mm. very sad but i'm glad that we talked 
talked about this because it's starting to become being brought to the forefront. But like I said, it's great to talk about it. But where are the deliverables? Yes. How can we get people into care? What resources do we have to provide a conduit for people to go um, and go over these stigmas and stuff that we have out there to try to get some care. I mean, if you ask the average doctor today, hi, um, would you tell me where to send my 75-year-old mother or whatever because she's having substance abuse problems, not because she's a junkie or anything, but just trying to get off some of the medicines that you have her on, where where, where would you send her? They wouldn't know. Wow. There's a very few of those resources and organizations to handle it. So People just keep using it. Situation just get continues to get bad. And then a lot of the I didn't realize that a lot of the the uh, Medicare and stuff like that doesn't cover a lot of stuff. Uh uh-uh. Right. Huh. Mm-hmm. No. So you no, kind of out there bad. on your own, huh? Yep. Or pay cash for some expensive mm. Betty Ford place or some Minnesota place or something like that, which the average person does not have. Right. Oh wow. Well, our last article, I know, there you have it. Our last article, what to know about the link between red meat and type 2 diabetes. And you're going to take that, D. Yeah, I'll take that one. Okay. So what to know about the link between red meat and type 2 diabetes. So we talk about this all the time. So this is an article that I found in New York Times. People who regularly eat meat may have a higher risk type of type 2 diabetes later in life. And one of the reasons people may say, well, why use the New York Times? Because their articles tend to be backed up by scientific yes. journals, yes. reputable scientific journals, not something that they just pulled off the Internet or Google, right. Dr. Google or something. Yes. So people who regularly eat red meat may have a type, higher risk of type 2 diabetes later in life, according to a large study published on Thursday in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition. Those who often consume processed meats like bacon, hot dogs, and lunch meat have an even greater risk. Cutting down our red meat, making other lifestyle changes could help many people reduce their risk of type 2 diabetes, said Zhao Ju, a nutrition researcher at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health and an author of the study. More than 37 million Americans have diabetes and 90-95% of those people have type 2 diabetes. Rates of the disease, which also damage the heart, kidneys, and eyes, are rising in the United States and across the globe. For the new study, Dr. Gu and his colleagues analyzed data on nearly 217,000 health professionals who had participated in three large studies spanning several decades. The participants answered detailed questions about their diets and medical histories every two to four years. After adjusting for other factors, including physical activity and alcohol intake, researchers found that the more servings of red meat that people ate, more likely they were to develop diabetes. Those who ate the greatest amount, roughly two full servings or about six ounces of beef, pork, or lamb every day, had a 62% higher risk of type 2 diabetes compared with people who ate the least, which was about two servings per week. The study does not show that eating red meat directly causes type 2 diabetes. It only shows an association between how much red meat you eat and your risk of disease. More than 80% of the participants were women and 90% were white. The researchers found only a weak link between red meat and type 2 diabetes in Asian 
and Hispanic people because the number of participants in these categories was so low. But the study's findings echo other research that raises concerns about eating large amounts of red meat and suggests that dietary changes could make an impact. Being just one serving of meat per day with plant-based resource sources of protein like nuts and legumes or with other dairy products like yogurt also lowered diabetes risk according to the study. Why might red meat be harmful to your health? Red meat has pros and cons, said Dr. Ruchi Mathur, an endocrinologist at Cedar sinai in Los Angeles who was not involved in the study. It's a valuable source of protein, vitamins like B12 and minerals such as selenium, but red meat is also high in saturated fat. Depending on the processing, it can be high in sodiums and preservatives, said Dr. Mathur. None of these are good for our health. Previous research has linked saturated fat to insulin resistance in overweight in obese adults. And in animal studies, high levels of sodium and chemical preservatives like nitrates and nitrites found in cured meats have been shown to increase inflammation and damage cells in the pancreas, which makes insulin. People develop type 2 diabetes when their bodies are unable to produce enough insulin. Red meat has also, also has high levels of a type of iron called heme, which researcher, researchers believe can affect insulin production. But the debate is far from settled, Dr. Mathur said. Most studies show a link between red meat and diabetes in humans have been observational and have relied on people accurately reporting what they ate over the course of a year. People who ate more red meat and more likely and are more likely to develop diabetes also tend to have a higher body mass index and be less physically active. And they are more likely to be smokers, though researchers try to control for these factors through mathematical models. So what do the findings mean for your diet? If you eat red meat every day, it might be a good idea to scale back. That's the bottom line. That's it. The lower you go, the better, said Dr. Gu, adding that one serving a week is a good goal. Although most Americans eat more red meat than nutrition experts recommend, data suggests that we are eating a little less beef and a little more fruit than we did in the 70s when the first study included in the new research began. But consumption of refined carbohydrates and sweetened beverages, which also contribute to diabetes, has increased. If you decide to eat less red meat, what you substitute for it is extremely important, said Dr. Gu. Mm -hmm. Previous research has suggested that eating poultry instead of processed meats could decrease diabetes risk. Seafood and soy-based products like tofu can be healthy, high-protein alternatives, as can plant-based sources of protein such as beans, lentils, nuts, and whole grains. Many of these can also help add non-heme iron to your diet, Dr. Mathur said. A cup of cooked lentils, for example, contains 6.6 milligrams of iron, more than the amount found in a serving of beef. Consider adding vitamin C from your lemon juice, tomatoes, or bell peppers to your meals to help your body absorb non-heme iron. So yes. a guide to better nutrition. Yes. Many women in the U.S. don't have sufficient amount, don't have sufficient amounts of iron in their bodies. Mm -hmm. Can eating certain foods like fruits or vegetables lead to clear skin? Mm -hmm. These are some of the other things that, yes. you know, can be that we're that we could look at eating packaged foods like cereal and frozen meals is associated with several health risks, as we talk about. And breakfast provides the fuel that you need to start your day and has a range of health benefits. Yeah, so we've always said to be careful. It was so funny. I was out and the folks were, you know, they were grabbing their the stuff that they eat and the fries and this and that. And I was uh -huh. like, I was like, you know what? I need, I need some protein. So I ordered uh -huh. me a, a, a steak. Uh -huh. And you could tell how the people were looking like, okay, she's supposed to be healthy. She eating a steak. <laughs> 
but they didn't realize I haven't had a steak since June. Exactly. That's it with me too. You know, it's just kind of like, yeah, (laughs) but it doesn't mean that you can't eat steak ever in your whole life. It's like, you don't eat it every day. And sometimes like you, like with me, I crave a steak. I just want a steak. So I said, you know, know, I I I need some protein. Let me get a steak. I need some protein. I just want to have a steak. Yeah. Yeah. But it was so funny how people are looking like, oh, she got her. But I was about to tell them, well, uh, sis, I ain't had any red meat since June. Now you've been eating red meat probably every day this week. Every day. (laughs) Right. Exactly. But I stay in my lane. I don't be, I don't be policing what people eat because I don't either. I don't either. Because that's, I I don't either. That's their bodies, right? Exactly. I do not either. No. But yeah, that's a good article at, at the end of the day, they're just trying to tell us to be real careful with our red meat and to, you know, to limit and it, and then be mindful of what you exchange it for. You want to exchange it for more fruits and vegetables, lentils. You know, I was telling uh, one of our friends that I have lentils in the crock pot every Sunday. That's our Sunday, you know, routine to have Uh some lentils because we just love Uh lentils, you know? Uh So yeah, that's, hey, that's a good article. And so this is the end of our show now. Do you have any tips? Yeah, just to kind of recap, the scientists offer a new explanation for long COVID. And like I said, you know, those individuals that are running around talking about, well, I don't really mind if I get COVID. Yeah, you do, because you don't don't want long COVID and some of the side effects that after effects that we're seeing, like blood clots and maybe some heart problems. But they're finding now maybe low serotonin levels are associated with long COVID. So and, and the, the issue is the magic word is trying to find some biomarkers, yes. some biomarkers that will lend, lead you to people who are prone to develop long COVID or even making a diagnosis for that. The article on the FDA banning hair straighteners, well, I mean, the uh, the sh- The shock and non-shock is that it's been known for over 10 years and it just kind of goes to show how, you know, when people talk about mistrusting the government, sometimes there's some reasons to raise your eyebrow and say, you know, they've known about this. What has taken them so long for lawyers to draft up a banning? They can ban stuff in three seconds. They can take us. They can yank something off the shelves in four seconds for you not to eat if some something or other is in it. So that's just something to think about. Mm-hmm. We talked about substance abuse in the elderly. It's a very complex problem, something that you don't think about. You think about the young, you know, 30, 20, 30, 40 year old running around on opioids and stuff. But no, substance abuse happens in people that are over the age of 65 because they get caught up. They have so many medicines. They have this polypharmacy. And they're also on meds that have drug drug interactions. So there may be some drugs that you're on when they take an opioid like drug that potentiates the effect of that drug that might make them more sleepy, more groggy, more out of it, more prone to overdosing. So it's a problem that we need to continue in the healthcare industry to continue to work on. And lastly, the link between red meat and type 2 diabetes. And it's not an article to say don't ever eat red meat. It's just that the article showed and it was, you know, there were not, you know, it wasn't like a vast, it didn't include all the demographics, but it just kind of showed that those people that ate more servings of red meat over a period of time, as opposed to those who maybe ate it once a week or less, had a propensity to have less possibility of developing type 2 diabetes. 
So it's an article that's worth looking at and and thinking about. And I mean, people have said for years, and again, you know, saturated fats and cholesterol, all that goes together with heart disease. So I think it's a good article. And again, as you, we continue to say on this program, everything in moderation. Yes. Everything in moderation. moderation. So, yeah. Yes. Don't pile your your plate high and deep. Like Don't we pile say. it high and deep. Just, just you know, moderation. Moderation yeah. it is. Yes, yes, yes. And as always, for more information, go to our website, vikidofitness.com. And remember, if you have any questions, comments, or just something to say, tweet us, email us, go on Facebook, and share with us your thoughts. You've been listening to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward-Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks-Bright. Vicki Doe is owner of Vicki Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum, a place to discuss, learn, and participate in healthy living. You can get in touch with Vicki by email at info at vickidofitness.com.